Hello there, and welcome to episode number 87 of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. Okay, so on this week's episode, we got to dive into the insanely wild series finale between the Blue Jays and the Angels that consisted of 21 total runs scored and ultimately resulted in a series sweep for the Toronto Blue Jays, if you can believe that. Um, So we're going to dive into that. Then we're going to get into Jose Barrios and his season-long struggles. And some very, very concerning signs um, that were only magnified in his start against the Angels. Um, So we're going to dive into those numbers. Then we're going to get into a very interesting situation that the Blue Jays have emerging um, within their organization. And that revolves around their catching position and how they're getting a ton of production, both defensively and offensively, from Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk. And then, oh, by the way, you have somebody named Gabriel Moreno, who is performing very well down with the Buffalo Bisons at AAA. So we're going to examine all those things, so let's dive right in here. Okay, so I know it was a bit of a later start on Sunday, but I hope everyone had a chance to watch the crazy finale between the Blue Jays and Angels, because if you were only able to make time for one game over the weekend, this needed to be it, because it was bonkers from the start to finish. Uh, it, w- it was wild. It, it had almost everything you could imagine a baseball game would have. Um, and as well, you know, the Blue Jays still won, right? They have quietly now won five straight games, including this four-game series sweep over the Los Angeles Angels. Like, this road trip for Toronto was very successful, even though it was, uh, it had a lot of ups and downs. Um, they quietly, again, went five and one on the six game road trip. Um, and now they get a day off Monday before welcoming in the Chicago White Sox. They're basically doing a AL Central showcase here over the next few weeks where you have the White Sox and then you have the Twins and then they go to Kansas City to face the Royals and then into Detroit to face the Tigers. Um, but anyway, it's, it's, it's very encouraging that they have won five straight and currently sit 27 and 20 on the year, placing them just five and a half games back of the Yankees, one game back of the Tampa Bay Rays for second place in the AL East, Um, but yeah, we need to make some time here to dive into everything that went on in that 11-10 victory for the Blue Jays, which is crazy, I think the biggest, (laughs) not even the biggest thing, the most insane thing that went on in this game is that despite that there were 21 combined runs scored 
it still ended up being a one-run victory, another one-run victory for the Blue Jays. Like, that's just, it's, that's so bonkers that you score 11 runs, you give up 10, and it'll still, it'll still go down as a one-run victory. That's just insane to me. But anyway, uh, the game certainly didn't start very well for the Blue Jays because they allowed a first-inning home run to Shohei Otani, his first of two on the day, making it an early 1-0 lead for the Angels. But thankfully, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who quietly has been a little bit more disciplined at the plate, this season at least. He's walking more, he's striking out less, he's chasing um, a fewer times as well, but he still hasn't been getting you know, the results that you would expect him to. But that wasn't the case on Sunday. He, he put it all together, at least in a single game for the Blue Jays. And in the second inning, he had uh, a two RBI double, a massive two RBI double to put the Blue Jays on top with a 2-1 lead. Um, unfortunately, though, Jose Barrios and the Blue Jays gave that right back in the bottom half of the inning when uh, there were a couple runners on base um, or there was a runner on base and uh, unfortunate, or unfortunately, sorry, there was nobody on base um, and Luis Renjifo uh, came to the plate. He tripled off Jose Barrios, smashing a uh, fastball down the line that came off the bat at 103.4 miles per hour. And to make matters worse, um, the Blue Jays did not handle throwing the ball back into the infield very well. Um, you know, there, there was a, a throw that came into Santiago, Santiago Espinal. And for whatever reason, he thought he had a chance to throw out Renjifo at third base. Um, but he actually airmailed the ball beyond Matt Chapman. And it went out of play. And Renjifo was able to come in uh, home to score. It wasn't scored as an inside the park home run. But, you know, it, it still ended as the same result. It gave the Angels a run and, and it tied the game. Um, and that was a... A little bit of a constant theme throughout this series it was bad defense on both sides too. Um, specifically, the, the Angels though too. Like there were a fair amount of plays in the outfield, one that should have been caught, and then two weren't handled very well. Mostly by Juan Lagares in right field. Um, he, he's doing a major disservice to the fact that he's a former Gold Glove Award winner. Um, but hey, it worked out for the Blue Jays. Um, and then we have in the third inning here. So after giving up a run, the Blue Jays march right back. Thanks to Springer, who had a very nice day for himself. Uh, he created a lot of hard contact in this game. And in the third, in third inning, he started things off with a leadoff single that came off the bat at 102.1 miles per hour. Uh, and then Alejandro Kirk comes up with a pair out, comes up with some two-out magic, and singles home George Springer. And then, 
behind him, third is Guriel Jr., who we were just praising for his improved plate discipline this season, gets a bases-loaded walk. And there were a lot of those in this game. So that scored Kirk. Chapman went to third. Biggio went to second. And then we got Rymiel Tapia, who comes up, who I don't even think should have been even playing. Sunday certainly shouldn't have been in the starting lineup against uh, a left-hander when you had Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Teoscar Hernandez both not in the lineup. But unfortunately, we did find out after the game, too, that both of those players were dealing with minor injuries. Uh, Danny Jansen as well was a little banged up, so that's why all three weren't in the starting lineup. Would have been nice to know that before the game, but, you know, it is what it is. Anyway, Tapia, fooling us all, had a very nice day. Uh, in that third inning, he just snook one through the infield. It ended up, the ball ended up hitting second base. It scored a pair of runs to put the Blue Jays up 6-2 in just the third inning. We, were, we weren't even through a third of the game, and it was already bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. And, you know, to give a little context on that two RBI single from Rymiel Tapia. It was only hit off the bat at 89.8 miles per hour and carried a 150 expected batting average. Um, now that doesn't take into account how the defense is positioned, but let me tell you, it probably should have been an out. Nevertheless, the Blue Jays will take it. Right? They went up 6-2, heading into the bottom of the third, feeling very well after how the first two innings went. And then, sadly, Jose Brios comes back out for the bottom of the third inning. And what does he do? Oh, he gives up another home run to Shohei Otani. Yeah. Making it 6-4. And it was an absolute missile. Like Shohei hit it 106.9 miles per hour, 425 feet deep to center field. So yeah, uh, not a great start to the inning. Luckily, he got Mike Trout to pop up on the next play, but then he gives up a double to Jared Walsh, a single to Luis uh, Renjifo. So that ended Barucki's day after just two and a third innings. He was done. So then comes in Ryan Barucki. And it's a tough spot for Ryan, Ryan Barucki to come into because he's got runners on the corners with just one out. Right? That's a tough spot for any reliever to come into. Gets the first batter he faces to line out. So that makes it two outs. And it was an absolute rocket. Like, thank goodness Santiago Espinal snagged it at second base because um, it came off the bat at 103 miles per hour and had a 690 expected batting average with it. So yeah, that should have gone for an out, but because of Espinal's defense, it wasn't. And then, Brookie gives up another missile to catcher Max Stassi coming off the bat at 100.2 miles per hour. That scores Jared Walsh. That also scored Luis 
Renjifo because he was uh, uh, stealing on the pitch. So he got a head start and he was able to score from first base. And that tied the game through three innings. So through three innings, we already have 12 combined runs scored. Ridiculous, right? Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, then we fast forward to the bottom of the fourth. And Ryan Brucky's still in the game because the Blue Jays were hoping to get some length out of him because, you know, they had already ripped through their bullpen uh, through the previous games of the series. And Taylor Ward comes up, who's having a monster season, a breakout campaign with the Angels. And he crushes a solo shot off Ryan Barucki, coming off the bat at 101.9 miles per hour, traveling 414 feet. And that's it for Ryan Barucki. And then Ross Stripling comes into the game. After getting a, a save, I think I believe it was his, his third career save the night before. So Ross Stripling comes into the game, ends up getting Mike Trout to fly out. That ends the inning. Then we're going to fast forward to the sixth inning here with Taylor Ward up once again. This time facing Stripling once again because the Blue Jays were still trying to piece this together as efficiently as they could. But unfortunately, Taylor Ward struck again, lacing a double off, Ryan, off Ross Stripling, coming off the bat at a blazing 106.4 miles per hour. That scored Tyler Wade to, the, to put the Angels up 9-6 in the bottom of the sixth inning. That did it for Ross Stripling. The Blue Jays bring in Andrew Vasquez, the left-hander, who... Prior to yesterday, I had even forgotten that he was still in the majors with the Blue Jays because that's how uh, frequently they've used him. He's barely thrown much at all. Um, so he comes in and he actually did pretty well. Um, you know, he, he, he pitched an inning and a third, didn't give up any runs, um, and, and, you know, essentially kept the Blue Jays in it. Uh, and, and allowed their offense to get them back into the game. Because then in the seventh inning, Gurriel comes up again with the bases loaded and gets another bases loaded walk. And then Tapia follows that up with another clutch single that scored Alejandro Kirk, that put two runners in uh, scoring position in, in Chapman and Gurriel. And then... Teoscar Hernandez gets a bases loaded walk, scoring Matt Chapman. The tough part, though, is that the Blue Jays couldn't do anything after that. Despite getting all those bases loaded walks, you had the top of the order come up, only one out, and George Springer grounds into a, a double play off Ryan Tapera, keeping the game tied at 9-9 and then wouldn't you know it in the bottom of the seventh 
Max Stassi comes up, Adam Simber on the mound, and smacks a home run. Like an absolute bomb. 104.7 miles per hour and 423 feet to center field. Now, for context though, that's the first home run that Adam Simber has allowed since opening day when Adolis Garcia took him deep. This has been a long time. Um, so we, ha we have to give Adam, Adam Simber some credit here because he's been phenomenal for the Blue Jays this season. So, you know, I, I'm not going to, you know, get bogged down by that. It's just, you know, flush it because of, that's how good Simber has been this season. And it's even better, too, because the Blue Jays were able to overcome that home, that home run, which is even crazier because in the top of the eighth, with Bo Bichette at the plate and Ryan Tapera still on the mound, Bo took him deep, 405 feet to center field, came off the bat at 104.9 miles per hour. That tied the game at 10 to 10. And then with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. up once again, he doubled home uh, Alejandro Kirk, making it 11 to 10 for the Blue Jays. And again, unfortunately, they weren't able to add on even more, which would have been nice because then the Blue Jays wouldn't have had to be working with a one-run lead once again. But nevertheless, that's what happened. And thankfully, they didn't blow it this time. Jimmy Garcia came in from the pen and, you know, he was pretty lights out. Uh, he pitched an inning, only gave up a walk, struck out two. His fastball was up around 97 miles per hour, which, um, you know, his velocity has ticked up lately, especially on this road trip. Um, Garcia has been much more effective than he was prior to the road trip starting, but um, yeah, like his average fastball velocity was sitting at 95.2 miles per hour. That was up 0.6 miles per hour on his season average. Um, he also got a trio of whiffs on that heater as well. Um, you know, he mixed in his curveball, his changeup, and his slider a little bit. Uh, and then you had David Phelps coming in in the ninth inning, recording his first career save since 2019 which is when he was with the Chicago Cubs. That was after the Blue Jays had traded him to the Cubs in exchange for Thomas Hatch. So that's an interesting tie-in to all of this. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an unbelievable game. You know, you look at the win probability chart off uh, either Fangraphs or Baseball Savant, and... <laughs> it's just it, it looks like a, a damn roller coaster you know up and down up and down up and down uh just wild that game but you know in the end it's a good thing that the blue jays were still able to grind out a victory right because you know we've been saying this for the first two months of the season you know the 
the way they are winning or yeah I mean most of their one run wins have been ugly right and and winning ugly is not usually sustainable right but it is an encouraging sign though that the Blue Jays are starting to score runs you know they're not grinding out 3-2 victories and you know 2-1 victories and stuff like that leaning heavily on their pitching and defense which kind of let them down in this series right if, if not for their offense you know they, they this road trip wouldn't have been as successful as it was you know, and large in part, it's a lot of because of Jose Barrios in that final start. You know, they coming off Saturday's game where, you know, you saw Jordan Romano working a third straight day. Velocity was way down. He had zero control and he was really gutting it out. Right. And he had to bring Ross Stripling in to get the save. After doing all that, you really needed to get length out of Jose Barrios and you only got two and a third only two and a third and uh, you know he had been better over his last few starts right he pitched six and a third uh, in St. Louis against the Cardinals and you know he, he allowed seven hits and three runs but um, he got seven strikeouts like that was a really encouraging performance from him something that you know, you thought he was starting to turn the corner, especially after throwing, you know, seven shutout innings against the Seattle Mariners um, in his previous start. Like, it, you thought this was okay. He's starting to string things together here. Still giving up a lot of hard contact, but, you know, maybe he's uh, putting things together a little bit. And all of that came undone in Los Angeles, you know, and now we have to really do a deep dive into Jose Brios because it's no longer just okay well he was impacted greatly because of the shortened spring the lockout um and all that no it, it, it it's more than just you know he's rusty and you know, something's really gone wrong with Jose Brios here um something that we we didn't see at all throughout last year and previous seasons too we haven't really seen this version of Jose Barrios that gives up a lot of line drives and a lot of hard contact um and if we dive into his numbers here like he's got a 562 ERA so far a 712 expected ERA and his hard hit percentage is at a career worst 47.1% that ranks in the 11th percentile of the majors. And because of all that hard contact, his expected average, expected batting average against ranks in the third percentile, expected slugging, second percentile, expected WOBA, second percentile, his expected ERAs on the second percentile, his barrel rate against is in the ninth percentile you know this these these are all bad signs really bad signs and then you take into account that he's not creating as much as many swings and misses you know his strikeout percentage 
from season to season has dropped by 10% this year. In 2021, it was at 26.1%. This year, it's down to 16.2%. His whiff rate has also taken a major hit. It's down to 18.6% this season. It was at 23.7% in 2021. So why is this happening? That's a great question. And, you know, I don't, I don't even know that the Blue Jays have an answer for that. Um, other than Barrios' command has been all over the place with all of his pitches. He hasn't been able to locate um, really any of his pitches effectively like he was a year ago. You know, uh, his fastball, which he's throwing a lot more this year because he hasn't been able to locate his curveball or his sinker as effectively as he has been in previous years. Um, You know, his fastball usage is sitting at 36.5%. That's up from 26.7% last year. Um, And it's getting absolutely crushed. Batters are hitting 375, 638, and a 461 Woba versus his four-seamer. Um, it's allowing a 52.2% hard hit rate against a 91.6 average exit velocity. And his curveball too. Its usage is down a little bit, just at 29.5% this year. Batters aren't creating a ton of contact against it, but they are creating hard contact against it at 471 hard hit rate against um, as a result of that it's got a 536 expected slugging a 358 expected woba its whiff rate is down from 34.4 percent last season this year to 28.1 percent its striker rate has dropped off the face of the earth last year it was at 40 40.2 percent this year it's down to 30.9 percent um and his sinker as well. It was a really good pitch um, for him at, at getting some strikeouts as well. Last season, it was at 18.6% uh, involving its strikeout rate. This year, it's down to just 5.6%. Combine that with the fact that it also had a 14.8% whiff rate last season. That's down to 8. 8.0% this year. Um, and his changeup is, as well too. It hasn't been nearly as effective because... Uh, he hasn't been able to set it up properly. You know, that's that's a pitch that he doesn't use all that often. But, um, you know, against left-handed batters in two strike counts, he'll mix it in a little bit. But because, um, you know, he hasn't been accurate with his four-seam or, or his curveball this year, that isn't, hasn't been an effective weapon for him. Um, so it isn't generating as many strikeouts or ground balls this year uh, compared to last season. Like a season ago, it had a 23.5% strikeout rate. This year, it's down to just 12%. Um, yeah, just just all very, very concerning signs regarding Jose Barrios. And like it, it's not just against one type of hitter. You know, lefties and righties are both crushing him 
Lefties are hitting 304 against them this year with a 554 slugging percentage. Righties are crushing a 289 opponent's average and a 447 slugging percentage as well. Um, you know, and, and line drives are up dramatically against right-handed batters, a 29.7% uh, clip and a 21.8% line drive rate against lefties. Um, you know, it's just a 30.8% ground ball rate against lefties, a 31.9% clip against righties. So um, just the Blue Jays have a great coaching staff, right? Led by Pete Walker and, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're working tirelessly to try and figure out what has gone wrong for Barrios this year. And, you know, perhaps it has something to do with his release point, which would make sense as to why his command has been all, all over the place. Um, you know, if you dive into the analytics here, his average release point regarding uh, uh, vertically is that it's dropped regarding all of his pitches. So he has dropped his release point and he has also moved it a little bit closer to the mound too, again, regarding all of his pitches. Um, so I don't know if that's by design or... You know, that's something he has just subconsciously done, whether it's intentional or not. Um, that could be a reason as to why he hasn't been able to locate any of his pitches um, effectively this season is because, is you know, he, he's not releasing the ball as high or as far away from himself. Um, as he has in previous seasons like that's all I can really think of is that it, you know that's really hurting him this season um, but you know at the same time too the Blue Jays have to figure this out because um, Jose Brios is a very important piece of their rotation right um, you know you you have a three-headed horse in Barrios, Gosman and Manoa when all three are right um, not to mention the success that Ryu is having since being activated off the IL. The turnaround that Yusei Kikuchi is enjoying since making his mechanical adjustments and, and merging that slider and cutter together, which is working um, fantastically for him. So uh, it, it seems like Barrios needs to make some mechanical adjustments as well. Um, and hopefully that will get him back on track and get him out of the middle of the zone so he does, starts to limit hard contact, which he hasn't been able to do for almost all of his starts this season. Um, you know, but the, at the end of the day, it, it's great to see that the offense was able to pick him up um, on Sunday against the Angels. Now, part of that is because of the offensive production that the Blue Jays are receiving from both Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk. And, you know, heading into the season, we came to expect, or at least had a fairly good idea of 
what type of production we were going to receive from Alejandro Kirk. Not so much in regards to Danny Jansen. Um, you know, because Jansen had some nice moments um, throughout the second half of last season. But, you know, given his history and his track record, you didn't really expect him to sustain that heading into this year. But if anything, he is built off of what he accomplished throughout the second half of last year. And he's really been able to put together a nice um, offensive performance thus far. And, you know, it sucks that he had to miss so much time early on due to that oblique injury. Because, you know, if he had stayed healthy, I mean, imagine how uh, well off he would be in the Blue Jays as well. Um, and, and, you know, they, they got some nice lightning in the bottle moments from Zach Collins, right? But, um, you know, Danny Jansen has just been unworldly good thus far. I mean, he's slashing 289, 357, and 789, through 14 games this season, just 42 plate appearances. So, again, it's a small sample size, but, um, you know, I don't think, and I wrote an article about this a little bit ago, um, or at least I included a little snippet about Jansen in it, and that, you know, I don't think this is just a hot streak from Danny Jansen. I really don't. Um, And that's large in part because, One, he's striking out less this season, right? He's improved his strikeout percentage to 14.3%. That's a career best. Last season, it was at 21.5%. And also, he's continued to create a ton of hard contact this year, similar to what he accomplished last year, but he's expanded on that. He's barreling up way more pitches this season than he has had, than he's done at any point previously throughout his time in the majors. Like right now, he's barreled up nine of his 32 batted ball events, which rounds out to a 28.1% barrel rate. By far, by far, that's the highest of his career. The previous high was 8.6%. And for context too, last season, Danny Jansen barreled up 12 of his 141 batted ball events. And he's already got nine this year. Paired with all that, he's got a career best 46.9% hard hit rate. And as a result, too, his expected numbers suggest his traditional ones could be even higher than they already are. He's got a 319 expected average, an 872 expected slugging, and a 508 expected WOBA. Further to this, Danny Jansen's hitting the ball in the air more than he ever has previously in his career. He's got a 62.5 fly ball percentage. And, you know, he's not creating many line drives, just a 6.3%. But when you're inducing that many fly balls and you're hitting hard contact, a recipe for success and so far it has been for Jansen um 
and he has been able to like he's still a heavy pull hitter right like 50% of the balls he's putting in play are going to the pull side but you know he's still at times being able to stay in the middle of the field he's got a 31.3 um, percent center field percentage um, so like that's encouraging that you know he's still able to place the ball in the middle part of the field instead of hitting you know over half of his balls in play to the pull side because you know if that were the case defenses would be able to load up that left side of the infield even more than they already are um you know and, and then along with the production you're getting from Danny Jansen Alejandro Kirk who has taken a major step forward regarding his defense this year and you know he had a slow start offensively um at least from a result standpoint because he was getting his walks but you know he, he just wasn't really contributing other than getting on base via walks except for lately you know over the last few weeks Alejandro Kirk has started to heat up here um you know over his last 33 plate appearances he's slashing 407 515 556 he's got a uh, a 180 or a 148 ISO, a 423 BAP, a 214 weighted runs create a plus score, a 470 WOBA. You know, um, he's going the other way a ton at a 26.9% uh, opposite field percentage. You know, um, creating a lot of line drives, a 34.6% line drive rate. Um, you know, like this is, this is the Alejandro Kirk that we were expecting to get at the beginning of the season. Um, and, and I think too, a little bit of his offense was compromised because of how much more he had to catch behind the plate with Danny Jansen injured. So, you know, for, for a guy of his stature, who isn't the most athletic catcher in the game, um, I, I think understandably that put a little toll on him and now that he's been able to take a bit of a back seat like he's still catching a lot right he's the primary catcher for Jose Barrios and Alec Manoa so he's catching you know two out of those five days but he's able to focus on his hitting a little bit more than you know he was able to when Jansen was out um, and I think as a result that has really helped his offense and now we're getting the best of both worlds where the Blue Jays are getting so much production from the catcher spot. Um, you know, like they are ranked tops or near the top in most every category, offensively and defensively across the majors when it, when it comes to the catching position. And that's remarkable. And then you have Gabriel Moreno in the minors who's arguably the catcher of the future, you know? Like, you have two effective major league catchers already on the roster. And then you have somebody who has a very high ceiling in Gabriel Moreno. And, you know, he got off to a bit of a slow start to the season with the Bisons. But overall, he's performing really well as of late. Um, you know, on the season, he's got 
plate appearances, he's slashing 331, a 388, and a 424. He's got a 124 weighted runs created plus score, a 400 BAP. Um, you know, the power is slowly coming around. Um, you know, he's only got one home run on the season with eight doubles, but again, lately it's, it's started to come around a little bit here and, uh, you know, considering he, he didn't struggle in the power, power department, uh, during his time with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats last year, he hit eight home runs, had a 278 ISO and a 651 slugging percentage. I don't think we have to worry about Gabriel, Gabriel Moreno's power. Um, you know, I think when everything is all said and done, that's going to be an area where he excels in. It just hasn't happened thus far here. But, you know, what is a good sign, too, is that he isn't striking out much at the AAA level. Just a 17.1% strikeout rate. Um, and, you know, there, he is very disciplined at the plate. But there are times where he extends the zone a little bit and it's nice to see that hasn't exactly happened early on here with the Bisons um you know he uh, paired with that you know uh, impressive strikeout rate is the fact that he's got a 7.8 percent uh walk rate that's the second highest of his career um the highest being a 9.7% clip, which he recorded with the Fisher Cats last season. Um, so this is just, it's a great problem to have, right? When you are loaded with catchers and that was the case heading into the year, right? You know, we were, we're all very privy to the fact that, you know, the Blue Jays may have flirted with the idea of utilizing Alejandro Kirk as a trade ship. Obviously, that didn't work out. But there was all those rumors linking Kirk to the Miami Marlins, right? Over the offseason, um, they ended up going with Jacob Stallings from the Pittsburgh Pirates. But, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if at some point we see... Jansen, Kirk, and Moreno all in the bigs at the same time. Um, you don't want to have that over an extended stretch just because that means somebody's not going to be playing every day. And you don't want to do that to any of those three players, especially um, Kirk or Moreno. So, you know, I think at this point, unless somebody gets hurt, Moreno really has to has to force the envelope to get up to the Blue Jays before September, before rosters expand. But, you know, at the end of the day, too, you know, Moreno only played like three games with the Bisons last season. So it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to have him spend the majority of the season, if not like almost all of it, at AAA with the Bisons before, you know, receiving a call up in September. And then help being able to help the Blue Jays down the stretch. Um, and then, you know, the whole catching situation is something the Blue Jays can, um, you know, determine what the next steps are for it in the offseason. Um, instead of having to try and figure that out in season. Um, but again, it's a great problem to have. You know, or organizationally, um, the Blue Jays have a ton of depth at that catcher spot. Um, and that's, you know, that's a very valuable position. So 
you know, it's, uh, it's definitely not a bad thing. That's for sure. But uh, that does it for this week's episode. I hope all of you will join me next time for another edition of Blue Jays World Update. But until that time, I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and now you're up to date. And please remember, wear a mask, wear it properly, and get vaccinated. Thanks for listening.